This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I thought about, prayed about what to preach on tonight. It is the Lord's table. But the Lord reminded me, preparation for his table, that this study really is about the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. You'll remember in our Lord's earthly ministry that there was two times that the Lord sent out his disciples. The first time he told them not to take anything with them. All right, except for the clothing that was on their backs. They weren't to take anything. When they'd go into a village, they would look, they were to look for a family where it looked like the head of the household was a peaceful man. That's literally what the scripture says. They would let him know that they were disciples of Jesus, the Lord. And if he welcomed them in, he would take care of them. That was God's plan. Of course, if that village, that town was hostile, they were to leave the village, knock the dust off their feet, and go on to the next village. It's interesting that when they came back, they reported to the Lord. They lacked nothing. But they were also excited about some things. They saw people healed. They saw demons cast out, those that were possessed of devils. And they're all excited. And really what the Lord was showing them, I can meet your physical needs, but I'm going to work through you to meet all spiritual needs. Nevertheless, then he says this, rejoice not in these things, but rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. Now, the greatest blessing any Christian can have is their eternal salvation in Christ. But I believe that that was also, and the Lord, remember, had promised the Holy Spirit. That was also a reference to the fact that because they're saved, because they would receive the Holy Spirit, they would have everything they needed for this earthly journey. Now, the Lord will send them out a second time. Once they had learned those earlier lessons, he'll send them out a second time, and he'll tell them to take some things, a second coat. Uh, he tells them, take swords with you. Some of the places you're going to travel, uh, there are those that are going to uh, come try to rob you and so on. Uh, it's not because you're disciples of me. It's just they're, uh, they're trouble. Take a sword. Protect yourself. And so that was later in the Lord's ministry. But when the Lord went to heaven, those disciples were convinced all they needed was Christ. There were other vain philosophies and, and things that were being taught in their day. But Jesus wanted them to have their minds fixed on him and his ability, his sufficiency to provide for them. And that really comes down then to the essence of comparing counseling philosophies. Those of us who are biblicists, 
Uh, a term that is not so familiar or even popular today is the idea of anesthetic counseling, which is biblical counseling. What's that mean? The word anesthetic uh, is a word in the Greek that means to admonish. In some places it's used for confronting. The whole idea is admonish people with truth. If there's sin in their life, confront their sin with truth. Let them know how they can be right with God. Opposite of that is the psychology, the psychiatry that is very popular today. In fact, like evolution, it's just accepted as truth. One of the reasons that we're looking at these truths from God's word and, and helping to expose some of these things, God's people should not just accept evolution and they should not just accept psychology. By the way, both are rooted in part in Darwin. Rejection of God as creator and then looking at natural sources for our help. And so we did some comparisons. We weren't able to finish last time. Uh, let me catch you up. Uh, we looked at some uh, specific areas. Man's question, what am I? You can fill in some blanks quickly. The Bible says man is the creation of God, body, soul, spirit. Psychology says man is a creature of evolution with body, mind, and personality. We believe man was created in the image of God. The second question, man's question, what is my goal in life? The Bible teaches, God said, the goal, you were created to glorify me. Man was created to glorify God. Psychology says man must adjust to his fellow man. After all, he's just an animal, so he's, he's got to adjust to his environment. Survival of the fittest and all that nonsense. Next, man's question, who is my supreme authority? Well, the Bible says God is the authority. Psychology says man is the authority. It says man has the right to determine, control his destiny. I quoted for you out of the Humanist Manifesto 1 and Humanist Manifesto 2. Humanist Manifesto 2 says, we can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human species. While there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are or will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. We went on then and looked at the next question, what is my standard of behavior? The Bible says it's the word of God. Psychology says it's the norms of society. Okay, that's my standard for behavior. Whatever society uh, says is normal, whatever their expectations are, that's my standard. Because the heart of man is wicked above all things and desperately evil, that can really affect society. And if the evil heart of man becomes the standard for society, 
that's going to turn into a mess. And by the way, all over the world, it's a mess. We're getting back to the days as they were in the days of Noah. What did God think of those days? He destroyed everyone on the earth except for Noah and his family. So evidently, all over the earth, everybody thought the standard was okay. The problem is God said it wasn't, and he destroyed the earth with a flood. It shouldn't be lost on we as Christians that God put his bow in the sky, his rainbow, to remind everyone of his mercy, I won't flood the earth again. And what has Satan and his crowd done with that rainbow? Now it's the symbol of all kinds of perversion. I've got a good friend. He loves to do this. And I love the fact he does it. He'll pull up to Starbucks and there will be a rainbow in the glass. And he'll say to that worker, getting ready to serve him his coffee, oh, I'm so grateful you're celebrating the rainbow. You're celebrating the fact that God will never judge the earth and its sin with water again. And the employee is looking out the glass like, who is this guy? But we need to be vocal about that truth. It's God's rainbow. Aren't you thankful the norms of society aren't the standard for behavior? And so tonight we pick up with that next question, man's question, what is the biggest obstacle to achieving my goal? Well, here's what the Bible says. The biggest obstacle is sin. Now, I don't even like the question because I'm not here to achieve my goal. I'm here to achieve God's goals. But what God wants is what's best for me and when I yield to him in faith and I structure my life according to his ways, blessed is the man who delighteth in the law of the Lord. And whatever he does, prospers, Psalm 1. Okay? So that's what helps me reach my highest potential is to yield myself to the God who made me and to strive to please him. What else does God say? The way of the transgressor is hard. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. All right, so sin is what keeps me from reaching my potential. It holds me back. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They've missed the mark. They've missed what God created them to be. James 4, 17, Wherefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Take your Bibles and would you go with me to Romans. You've heard me say it before, Romans, the book of Romans is really the theology of our salvation. It's a deep book. It explains the gospel in great detail, but it also explains why man needs the gospel. Our sinful, lost 
hopeless state without Christ. Go to Romans chapter 7 and notice verse 21. Now this is Paul speaking. He's born again. He's been fully equipped because he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God and reach his potential for God. But Paul says this, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. The would do good is the Holy Spirit living in us. But evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. All right, that new nature that I received who is none other than the person of Christ living in me. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. You may want to underline mind in your Bible. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. That's a reference to this flesh. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body, this flesh, these members, of death. Where's deliverance? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's your deliverance. So then with the mind, there it is again, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. All right. So Paul is saying is, Sin is the problem. How do I overcome the sin? Well, in my mind, I agree with God about what he has said. The sin in my life, the weakness of my flesh, I agree with God. Right thinking leads to right actions. And by the way, folks, when you're doing those right actions through the power of God, that's where peace comes in. That's where tranquility of soul comes in. Great peace have they which love thy law. The man whose mind is stayed on him has great peace. So sin's the problem. But here's what psychology says. It's bad behavior, which falls into three great or three general qualifications, classifications, neuroses, psychoses, and mental illness. I'm not going to take time, waste our time to even try to define those tonight, okay? But I did have to define them on a test one time, just saying, okay? Now, we would agree that behavior is a problem. How many would agree that bad behavior is a problem in our society? All right, all of us. That's why you have security systems, lock your doors. All right. Have your wife get up to see what the sounds are in the middle of the night. That kind of thing. All right. Bad behavior is an obstacle, but psychology guesses as to why people behave the way they do. And then they add labels without identifying the true cause. Proverbs 23, 7 identifies the true cause. You're listening? Here it is. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, Clyde Naramore said this, if anxieties and confusion therefore seriously interfere with one's life, he is considered emotionally or mentally ill. 
can you think of any godly people in the Bible who had anxiety or were confused and it affected them? I can. And the Bible tells me they were all put there in the Bible for examples. Examples of what? So that I can learn, so that I can make right decisions, think correctly about my own life as I think correctly about what happened in their lives. I'll just be blunt. King Saul did not have a mental illness. King Saul had an obedience problem. To obey is better than sacrifice, Samuel told him. And why did he get to the point where they would today say he was bipolar? One minute he's enjoying music, the next minute he's throwing javelins at you. Uh, his meds are off. No, he turned away from God. What you never find in Scripture is King Saul on his face before God repenting and genuinely saying, Lord, I just want to be right with you. Doesn't happen one time. And so he was not even willing to think rightly about how to change course and come back to the Lord. It's not behavior. It's the way we think. And of course, again, that's what Paul identifies. Even the apostles said, oh, wretched man that I am. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. The things that I should do, I don't do. What's the answer? Christ in me and yielding my mind to his will. The next question goes along with the one we just looked at. Why does bad behavior exist? Well, the Bible says it's a sinful heart. I've already quoted Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's a rhetorical question. You and I can't know it. And by the way, if a person sits across from you, it doesn't matter how much education they've had. They can hear your supposed symptoms and they can start writing a prescription. But who can really know the heart of man? Oh, by the way, God tells us no man can see what's inside another man. Who alone is able to do that? God. And so a sinful heart. Psychology says, well, here are all the culprits. Sex, environment, power drive, the ego you could put there culture, or whatever else we can blame. My past, my parents, okay? Look at the quote here from Dr. Wayne Oates. The most specific example of the negative effects of religion as a force of repression and control appears in Freud's discussion of civilized sexual morality and modern nervousness. He deplores Western religious controls, which are so rigid and unnatural that the sexual abilities of individuals is impaired, perverted, or neuroticized. Now, Dr. Oates is right. That's what Freud thought. 
Do you know why people go and do all kinds of deviant, immoral things? Because somebody told them not to. Let me illustrate it this way. Do you know why kids get in cookie jars? Because mom, you repressed them. You said don't get in the cookie jar. They would leave the cookie jar alone if you hadn't said don't get in the cookie jar. Now, I wouldn't even ask you to raise your hands if you believe that nonsense. But that was Freud's premise. All these people act out and they do things secretly that are, are uh, immoral in society standards because some preacher stood up somewhere and said, here's what the Bible says. Oh, you can't tell me that. That's why people act up. Now this is where we get into the area of discussion the psychology likes to talk about and that's the word freedom. You may just want to write it down there. Okay, we have freedoms. Doesn't man have the right to do what he wants to do? I mean, if it feels good, shouldn't I have the right to do it? I have freedoms. But what does Scripture, how does Scripture define freedom? Let me give you a definition. Freedom is the right to do what you ought to do before God. That's real freedom. Can I back that up with Scripture? Here's what God said. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. All of us live in neighborhoods where our neighbors are bound by sin. They're shackled by illicit drugs, illicit sex, alcohol, it has a death grip on them. Why? Because either they don't know the truth or they're unwilling to follow God's truth. Following God's truth is righteousness. It's fulfilling our obligations before God. I want you to write down this reference, if you would, Deuteronomy 28, 28. I don't know if you've seen this in the scripture or not. This was one of the warnings that God gave to Israel when he was delivering. Of course, we know that Deuteronomy second law. So God is giving them the law, repeating the law, reminding the law to him. And then in Deuteronomy 28, 28, you have this warning. Listen to it. The Lord shall smite thee with madness, with blindness, with astonishment. All right, now the blindness is not physical blindness. You're not going to be able to see the obvious. What is madness? That is mental instability. What does astonishment mean? It means confusion, bewilderment. Why is this happening to me? We could say this, why isn't my way working? Now, why did God give them Deuteronomy 28, 28? Here's the context. When you go into Canaan, if you start worshiping their false gods, this is what I am going to send to you. Do you see the connection between sinful behavior, a sinful heart, and mental instability? God promised it. 
And so man's next question, what can effectively change this sinful behavior? Well, the Bible says this, faith in Jesus Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times when sinners were brought to the Lord or even those that he healed, right? The Lord ministered to them. He healed them physically. He met spiritual needs, uh, a need like uh, delivering them from a demon that was both spiritual and physical. And what would the Lord say to them? Go and sin no more. Well, what's that got to do with anything? Because that's the source of our trouble. And God knew it. By the way, faith in Jesus Christ also leads to repentance. I've got to agree with God about me, confess my sin. Part of confession is turning from, and turning from that is what brings freedom, deliverance. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I don't have time tonight, but you can look at these additional verses and you'll see a pattern where the Lord is equating faith in what he has said, following his truth, following him with deliverance, with peace. Let me add one other set of references or verses for you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We all have, have perhaps memorized that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto what? Thine own understanding. Or we could say, or somebody else's understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him and what does he promise to do? He's going to direct your paths. Faith in Christ. Psychology says, fastening guilt on parents or society, freeing repressed desires, drugs, psychoanalysis, sensitivity training, group therapy. All right, all of those things, that's what's going to make a difference. So think about this. And I'm not against support groups if they're directing people to Christ. But if you sit in a group with a bunch of other sinners who are sitting around blaming everybody else for their sin, how helpful do you think that's going to be? Well, let's just talk about it. Now, sometimes it does help just to bear your heart. Here's, here's what I'm struggling with. God allowed Elijah to do that. Remember when Elijah, lacking faith, ran away out of Israel all the way through Judah. He's down in the wilderness. Uh, he's unstable. Lord, I'm no better than my fathers. Kill me. The Lord let him sleep. The Lord fed him classic depression. And then the Lord let him talk. And when he was done talking in a still small voice, God helped Elijah start thinking the truth again. You're not alone, Elijah. And by the way, Elijah, I have this all worked out. And he gives him a brief future history lesson. All right, this is going to be the history of Israel. This king's going to be set up, and he's going to kill this king, and I've got it all laid out. Elijah, your job is to trust me. And then God did something else for him. 
And this is why it is so important that Christians be part of a local body of believers who are growing in Christ. God gave Elijah a friend. All those years, hunted by Ahab and Jezebel, he was alone. God gave him a friend. Who was his friend? Elisha. Elisha. Oh, there are wonderful lessons uh, there. God gave him a friend. God gave him accountability. God gave him somebody who could talk about God with him. We all need that. And so fastening guilt on someone else, that is not the answer. Something else. Dr. Howard, or I'm sorry, Hobart uh, Moore, and I, I would like you to read his footnote. I'm not going to do it, but this guy was a character. He was raised in a conservative Christian home, got away from the Lord, became educated. And it's amazing how some people can get educated and think they're smarter than God. And you'll see in the footnote that he even began to question traditional marriage, but he bemoaned the fact that society wasn't going to change because of all the religion and the social norms that were going to work to keep traditional marriage intact. Well, we live in a day where they've abandoned traditional marriage, and things are going so well. Anyway, that was Morer before his time. What do we know from Scripture about this matter of guilt? Does God accept blaming others? Well, do you know that you can just get three chapters into your Bible and you read about our great-grandparents disobeying God and, reading, and, and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Again, God comes. He came to fellowship with him, with them. That was the key. That was the best part of their existence. God knows exactly where they are, why they're hiding, but he calls for them. He's giving his word an opportunity to work in their hearts. And then they come out, and what starts to happen? They start blaming each other. It's interesting there hadn't been sin on the planet literally until just moments ago. What's the first thing that happens? Blaming others. A heart not right with God, a heart now that is separated from God, and what's the natural result in the human heart? Pin my guilt on somebody else. In fact, if you run out of people, blame a snake. The devil made me do it. No, no, no. James reminds us every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. All right, so God will not accept fastening guilt on anyone else. And in fact, if you take time to look at our future, the fact that there is one throne, but there are two events before that throne. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment. And over here is a book. Everything that people have done is written here. And then over here is a book full of excuses that gets them off the hook for what's written. No, it's not, that's not what happens. 
Here's the book. Everything recorded about behavior. And then over here is the book of life. And at the great white throne, they're judged out of the things that were written in this book. None of it's been erased. Why? They didn't accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to have their sins washed away. A lot of them accepted human philosophy. My psychologist told me it wasn't my fault. Oh, I feel so good. It's not what God thinks. By the way, it's not always somebody's fault that they have experienced. There's abuse. There's all of those things. But the reality is everyone will give an account for their own sin. For a Christian, those books aren't opened. Instead, this book, the book of life, our name is there. And we are at the Bema where then we stand before the Lord. We don't talk about our sin. We talk about how we ran the race for him. Now, Christian, I just want to challenge you to be prepared for the judgment seat. You've got to be willing to cast all your care on him, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, running the race set before you, setting aside the weights and the sins that easily beset us. Looking unto Jesus. And you'll be prepared to meet him. So let's conclude. We all must choose. You're going to have to choose who you decide to follow. The Bible, which is inspired by God, by infallible God. All Scripture is profitable. Profitable to what extent? Would you turn with me as we close to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? We're going to look at two passages, and I'm going to ask you to write down a word. We know that the Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed. But what comes into question as we are in a study like this is, does the Bible give us all that we need? Yes or no? Now, it's not going to give me direction on my gallbladder problem. However, my Bible does tell me that my gallbladder problem is something God wants to use to grow me and help me depend on him. And to seek him in this trial, his direction, and then I go find a good doctor. But it doesn't matter what I'm facing, God gives me the direction I need to be able to take the next steps so that no matter what I'm facing, I can please him. But notice what 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5 says. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. In other words, don't turn to yourself for answers to your needs. But our sufficiency is of God. Go over to chapter 9. Hope you're writing these references down. Chapter 9, look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. In physical trouble? Yes. With an abusive past? Yeah. And by the way, 
you can go to biblical counselors who have found the sufficiency in the scripture. Let them help you. I have seen God use his word to liberate lives who have come out of awful paths. So God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having how much sufficiency? In all things. Would you agree with me? That just about covers it. May abound to what? Every good work. Doing everything God has called me to do. Well, pastor, you just you don't understand. My past, my parents, my disability. Wait a minute. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye, always having all sufficient in all things, may get by, no, no, abound to every good work. The last time I shared with you about two ladies in the city we lived in in my first pastorate, talked to you about Sharon and Lisa, how God transformed their lives. I don't think I told you what the name of their support group was. You're going to love this. This will encourage you. The name of their support group was COPE. Just COPE. Woe is me. I, uh, I just have to, just got to get by, pass the prescriptions. I'm not trying to belittle, okay, but God doesn't want us to cope. He can cure us and help us change. And to the glory of God, those ladies changed. So, the Bible inspired by infallible God, revealing his sufficiency. Psychology invented, <coughs> excuse me, by sinful man. Invented by sinful man. And when you read about Freud, Skinner, Rogers, Darwin, we can go on and on. These, these brilliant people who have helped the human race, without exception, they all deny God. And so they remind me of what we read in Romans 1. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Many of them were exposed to the gospel and turned away. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Go down to verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. That's not what marriage should be. There, there's, there's more than one gender. That's not, guilt isn't real. We can go on and on. Changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Go to verse 28. And I think this is where we find ourselves today. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What's that mean? They can no longer identify between good and evil. In fact, when the scripture says they call evil good and good evil, there's a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, what does that mean? Well, that word convenient, if you look it up, 
It means things that are not proper. And once again, God being the standard, this is the proper way things are to happen, to function, and then there are the improper ways. And so, again, verse 28, doing those things which are not proper, not convenient, not profitable. Hence, we find ourselves where we are today. Hence, we find a lot of Christians who have forsaken the Scripture because they went to somebody who had other ideas, and in their mind, those ideas are working, and so... That's how they're choosing to live life. Folks, our sufficiency is in Christ. And that was one for us at the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. The burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word and our sufficiency in Christ. Now, Lord, there are things that we don't understand sometimes about behavior and when things break down in a person's life. But, Lord, we need to run to your word and not to others to be able to determine the real cause and the real solution. And so, Lord, would you help this study to drive us to your word, to make us cling to you, cleave to you as we saw this morning, that our needs might be met as we submit our mind to your mind. The word of God. Pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.